0: If you'll notice in your worship folder, there is a um there's a tear off uh in there. It's a family a family prayer. We've had some we've had some news this week in our family. And um uh this is Ellie Caroline. Yeah. She was born at a very inopportune time, four fifty five in the morning, uh Friday morning. Six pound twelve ounces, and uh, I, I thought about her as I've been thinking about um, as I was thinking about this family prayer. If you will, if you'll take a time and look at this, this is set conveniently in your worship folder as a as a bookmark, and you can just tear this thing out of, out of here. and And what I would suggest that you do is use this as a prayer. Use this as a prayer for. Your children, your grandchildren, yourself. And uh notice here there's blanks in here, and they're blanks so that you can kind of fill in the name. But this is this is a prayer that is taken from last week's message, and it's a prayer that's taken from Colossians chapter one, verses nine through fourteen. And it it goes something like this. So I'm gonna pray this prayer and I'm gonna pray it for Ellie Caroline, okay? Um this 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 morning. You don't have to pray, but you can pray it along with me, and you can pray for maybe a, a child that you have. If you're if you're here and you're a young person, you can pray this for yourself, or better yet, pray it for your mom or dad. Right? Um, pray it for your mom or, da- or dad. So I want us to look at this, and I'm going to I'm just going to fill it in with with Ellie's name. Um, I'm asking I'm asking that you would fill Ellie with knowledge of your will in all things. Grant her spiritual wisdom and understanding to walk in a manner pleasing to you, bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in every good work. May Ellie increase in knowledge of you and be strengthened with all your power, so that she will endure with patience and disappointments and adversity. May Ellie find her greatest joy in Christ. Grant that she share in the, in the inheritance of the saints being delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We ask this through Jesus through Christ. Redeems and provides full forgiveness of sin in his name for Jesus, for God's glory. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you Do you have a
1: Christian home? And what does it mean to have a Christian home? What does
0: one look like? How, How does it operate? How does it navigate? I mean, how do you, and I just want to be honest with you at times. Sometimes you're, you say, I'm not sure we have a Christian home. Because, let me give you a free example. Let's just say that you're on your way to church in the morning and you're getting the kids together. And you've got one that is, um, one that is perhaps, um, or two of them that are getting, not getting along very well. And you feel, by the time you walk through the church doors, you feel anything but spiritual. Because your emotions have risen and all these things are happening in your life. And all of a sudden you're thinking, man, you know. Uh, I've, I've had kids when they were small and, and that was a typical Sunday morning. Even for a pastor. It's like, you know, I remember one Sunday morning we were going to church. My son swallowed. He was in his car seat, and somehow there was a a penny. We swallowed a penny on the way to church, and I'm like, "That's for the offering." And <laughs> and and you know, we end up. I mean, you know, you feel real spiritual. Honestly, you have to get up and preach a sermon, and you got all this stuff going on, and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm just telling you, sometimes you're just not going to feel spiritual. There's going to be times in your life that. That it's it's not gonna be like it's not gonna be easy. And so what does it mean to have a Christ centered home? I I look we looked at it last week as having a home that is being shaped by prayer for God's glory, asking for that. Well, this week we're gonna look at at um we're gonna look at this idea of of a Christ centered a Christ centered home. What does it mean? I have a, I had a friend, a preacher friend, Roy Lester. As many of you remember him, is now Roy is now with the Lord. Roy had this just really keen a odd, unique sense of humor. He had a dog. He loved his dog. Um, Eli was his dog's name, and uh, I, he I think he had trained Eli how to open the Bible. I, I would say, Roy, you have a real Christian home. That's kidding. <laughs> you know, you train your dog to you know to. To, to do this I mean you know if your dog's right right you know if your dog's right everything's good in your home right <laughs> right it, it I mean his dog was so good he he, he got online and got him these quote-unquote ordination papers for his dog and he did it as a big joke but uh so I was kidding with Royce you know Royce you know your dog's right man you're okay you're 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 okay. Um, I have another good friend who's a pastor. He wrote "What Would Jesus Do?" Garrett Sheldon. Many of you know him. He pastors here locally and just retired as a professor at college. And he asked he asked this question of a Christ centered home. I want you, I want us to ask it. And this, what would Jesus do in our home if Jesus were leading our home? And he is, and hopefully he is. If he's not. There is a great opportunity for him to be the leader in our home. What What does it mean for to do what Jesus would do. And he asked that that simple question that really, I mean, that in the early 1990s uh, really just took off and went went with great fanfare. People were asking, what would Jesus do? And it's a real question of ethics of what would Jesus do in certain situations in our life. And what does it mean to have a Christ-centered home? What does it mean? We're just now celebrating 500 years, think about this, 500 years of the Reformation. It began with Martin Luther. Martin Luther um, was a man who struggled with a question that Donnie, that Donnie asked in here: Is How can God be for us and not against us? Because everything in Martin Luther's life said that God was against him. that That God really had it out to get him. So Martin Luther was going about time to to be entering college. His dad, who was a, who was a minor, wanted him to to go and become a lawyer. He wanted him to be study law and become a lawyer, and he did for a little while. And on 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 one evening, as he was walking home in the field, one day when he's walking home in the field, this storm rises up in the field, and Martin Luther got terribly frightened. And you think, well, it's just a thunderstorm. Well, this was a pretty bad storm. And he made a deal with God in that field. He said, God, he basically, he prayed to Anna. Anna would have been Mary's grandmother, who was a patron saint in the Catholic Church. He prayed to Anna that Anna would save him, and he made a bargain with Anna. He said, Anna, if you will save me, I will go into the monastery. I will become a monk. And he did. He entered the monastery, and and he took the vows of, of their order. And all the time, he was tormented with the question, how can God be for me and not against me? How can he? Now you have got to realize the time of history this was. This was at the time that that uh, the the Bible was actually becoming had been translated into the vernacular had been had, and that had had taken place. And he struggled even in the monastery with his question. He was a good monk. If anybody could make it to God and be pleasing to God through their monkery. As he said, he would have been the guy i mean he was he was the he was the guy he He took the vows, took them seriously, but he was tormented he was tormented in his mind and in his heart, he could never get a sense of forgiveness in his life he never he never come to a sense of of a knowledge of freedom in Christ until he began to study the Bible. And when he began to study the Bible, he, was, he became, eventually became a professor of Old Testament. But we know him better as a professor or as, a, as, as giving us this little statement, the just shall live by faith, that he got through the book of Romans. And it was that particular phrase in Romans and particularly Galatians that he wrote commentaries on and Galatians provided him with a, a lot of detail that he, that he really, really, it really sunk into his heart. But when he got, the, he got the, the spiritual concept of the just shall live by faith. All of a sudden something sparked in his, in his mind, in his heart. His heart was changed. He's, he came into a relationship with Christ. Personal, And he realized that through that through all of that, that he had been trying to earn God's favor through his religious activity, through being a good person, through being a monk. And so he comes up with these 95 theses that, that he nails on the, the door of Wittenberg, Germany, and the rest is history. And there was five principles that come from this that really marked the foundation for a spiritual life. And not only a spiritual life, but what it means to have a relationship with God. And there are the five solas. The sola scriptura, the sola gratia, the sola fide, solas Christus, and sola dea gloria. What do these mean? Sola means alone. It's Latin. Through the scripture alone. That is the authority of our faith and practice. It is by grace alone, sola gratia. It is by grace alone that we have been saved, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, through faith, sola fide, through faith alone. So it is by grace, through faith in Christ alone, for
1: the glory of God alone.
0: And I want us to look at if this is so important, and it is, See, it's so important that we know, that, that, we, that you know, that I know, that we are personally connected with God. And Martin Luther discovered, if God is for you, who can be against you? Romans chapter 8. That it is, it is God who justifies and not we ourselves. It is Christ who, in His work of the cross, that is satisfaction completely sufficient for the work of our salvation in other words we don't really add any iota to our salvation it is through god's grace alone by faith alone in christ alone and christ's work is sufficient now let me ask you this if that is important if that is important enough for your salvation then how important Is it to have a Christ-centered home? What does it mean to have a Christ-centered home? He would have said it this way. It would have been solus Christus. That Christ is the center of our home. Well, you know, that that he is the center of our home. Um, Martin Luther eventually married um, Katie. He married Katie Borah. And they end up having a a number of children. But uh, she was a runaway nun. And uh, he had lined up several priests to marry up several other nuns. And then she was the last one. And she was supposed to marry another priest. And this priest backed out. And so, I don't know about how this worked. But Martin Luther said, well, I'm going to have to marry her. So he did. But one of the things that that martin luther's associates his associate noticed of him is that he was very devoted in prayer he was a man who would spend at least three hours a day in prayer three hours and he overheard some of his prayers and he said man i mean this guy prayed like jesus was like in the room that there was devotion. So a Christ-centered home in Martin Luther's day would have looked like something like this. They would have gotten up in the morning. They would have morning devotions. There would have been a recitation of probably the Apostles' Creed, and they would have been a reading of Scripture, and maybe a singing of song. And then there would be the evening devotions during the evening hours. And that was that's what a Christ-centered home looked like back in. 500 years ago. In other words, there was prayer, there was scripture, there was the working and intermingling of the Christian faith and life into the home and family. In other words, now listen to me very carefully faith was just not something that was tacked on to our lives. Said, oh, we forgot to pray. Oh, we need to pray. Oh, it was not just something that we kind of relegated to Sunday, it was something that was integrated. Daily. It was integrated daily in, in their in their lives and daily in the lives of people. Now, if you look with me in, a, in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3, I want, want you want us to look here and to this morning's message, and I want to encourage you to take notes on this. This morning's message deals with, Paul is dealing with the reality of the mystery of the gospel that he was a steward of. He said he was a steward of the mystery of God's grace in the gospel. And Paul particularly meant that he was a steward of God's grace of this gospel that was given to the Gentiles, that was given to people who were not Jewish. Primarily, Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And so in verses 1 through 6, he says that he is given this stewardship of this mystery. And then Paul talks about the ministry of God's grace through this gospel in verses 7 through 11. And then Paul, here again, throws in another prayer. And as we look at this, and I'm thinking, wow, here it is. It's just as a natural course of conversation that we find that Paul is praying. And and, and he, he does, as we look in verses 11 through 21. I want you to look uh, here with me. He says, because of Christ and our faith in him, We can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Now, why could he say that? He could say that because it was in Christ alone who was mediator and intercessor. Now, I'll go on and explain this a little more in a minute. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. He's in prison when he's writing this. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all of this, he says, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. The creator of everything in heaven and in earth. I pray that the glorious unlimited resources will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will, will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ through... um, Though it is is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. And then he gives kind of like this doxology. It's like... This prayer ends up in, in, into this explosion of praise to God. He says, now to the glory of God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we
1: ask or think. Now, I like that.
0: Glory to Him in the church and to Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and then he let's just conclude it with him and then he gives a big hearty amen do you see the prayer now i want you to look at this because here's here are five dimensions i believe that you will find in a christ-centered home in a christ-centered family here is, it's where, it's where faith and, and it's where Christ is kind of the center of all of it. Christ is just not something to say, oh yeah, we're Christian, we don't do that, or we can't. It, it, it is that Christ is inter, interwoven in every part of our life. Let me give you an example. Christ is interwoven in our purpose in life. Children begin thinking about college early on now. You begin to encourage them to pray. Well, you need to pray and seek God about what at what he wants to lead you into, and as as parents, I mean, you do this as a, a dad or a mom. If, you have, if there's a job opportunity or a job change, you be, you begin to pray about that. You begin to make those 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 part of the family life, the family conversation. You begin to integrate faith in the family. You integrate Christ in the family. You say, when well, we're praying for God's will. And you're seeking God. You deal with a disappointment in your life. We're going to pray for God's strength and his guidance and his help. And let them see you do that. You say, well, that just seems weird. We'll get over it. Right? I'm telling you, prayer is a natural part of the Christian life. You say, well, I don't have the right words. You don't have to. Just try. Just try. I don't know the right words to say. You start with the Bible. You've got a prayer right now. I've, I've given you one. You've got a place to start. And you get over the fear that Satan wants to hold you bound in. People will see the influence that your faith can have in Christ alone, in your family. But you're going to have to be brave. and You're going to have to be courageous. And sometimes, sometimes being courageous among our family is really difficult. How many of you know that? you know that. But you make it a natural thing. You don't make it a weird thing. You make it a natural thing. So here's one of the things that we, we we find here. First of all, we find that there is a humble reverence to God the Father. That was, And that is set. And if you're a dad in the family, or maybe you're a single mom, when there is a humble reverence to God the Father in your home, then you, you recognize that you're looking to God. You're looking to a source outside yourself to figure out life, to figure out your difficulties, to figure out what you're going through. And notice here, because of Christ and our faith in Him, notice here, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. In other words, you can have an honest and candid conversation with God. That's, that's literally what he's meaning here. Don't lose heart because of his trials. Paul saying, "I'm suffering for you." He's saying, "Paul understood and knew that this humble reverence to God was was where you get answers. It wasn't it wasn't him, him trying to be a better person. It was him being a yielded person to Christ. Just as he had yielded to the Lord in salvation, so you yield to the Lord in His sanctifying work in the Spirit as you're set apart to God and In his sustaining work of grace. So, Paul understood the sola gratia in the reality of that his work is saving, his work is sanctifying, and his work is sustaining and is satisfying. Now, so, he prayed to who? He prayed to Christ. In other words, Christ was the center of Paul's spiritual life. He was the center of the spiritual life. And and he recognized, and Paul recognized that it was through this grace that Christ had saved him. It was through his mediatorial work. So Jesus
1: is prophet, priest, and king.
0: Now I want you to get that. Jesus is prophet. A prophet is somebody that speaks the truth. A prophet in the Scripture is somebody that he would either foretell the future or would speak forth the Word of God. But I want to to say that that Jesus had the right and the privilege to speak into Paul's life. And I want to ask you this morning, who has that right to speak into your life? Does the Word of God speak into your life, and what do you do with it? It's one thing to hear a message, and it's another thing to really listen to one. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I've heard a lot of messages. And oftentimes, sometimes I think, well, I'll think about that. Maybe something deep down in my heart that I know that the Holy Spirit is pinpointing in my life, and I'll think about that. But God wants us to, He wants to speak into our lives. And here's the deal. You don't realize how loved you are. When God speaks into your life, at first, it doesn't, the truth sometimes doesn't feel like it's a, it's a good thing. It doesn't feel like it's a bomb of Gilead in your, into, your, into your hurting soul. But oftentimes, when, when the truth of God's Word cleans out the wound, cleans up our life, heals us, and makes us whole, He is a prophet. Well, Jesus is not only prophet; he speaks into our life. He's the priest. He is the intercessor. He's the he's the mediator who provided the sacrifice, and then he's the one who went into the holiest of holies with the sacrifice of his own blood to make intercession for you and me. And the Bible says that the narrative goes even further than that that Jesus is not only the prophet who speaks into into our lives and speaks into the life of human history, and the priest, uh, the great high priest who's ever lived, the great shepherd of the soul. And He is the coming King. And I want to tell you, as sure as you're sitting here today, and as sure as I'm preaching here today, and, and we're together here today, I believe Jesus could come back any moment of time. And I'm looking for Him. Literally.
1: Are you? Now, I
0: know you you young people, you say, i got a lot of life and living to do. I want to tell you something. (laughs) Your life and living, man, is in Christ. Because He's the God of life. I'm looking for Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't come today, I'm looking tomorrow. If He doesn't come tomorrow, if it's 50 years from now, I'll be looking for Jesus. You know, they were in the early church, and somehow they, they had this expectation that Jesus was going to come back. Are you looking for him? And Jesus will be coming back, not as prophet, priest, but he'll be coming back as king of kings and lord of lords, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have you knelt to him? There's a humble reverence that recognizes that you're not God. And you know what? That's great news. You say, Wow, you don't no, you don't have you don't have to be the, the card carrying person that says, I'm God. Matter of fact, give it to him and let him be God and you be a humble you you humble yourself before him and you he will enable you to do things that will blow your mind. It's the things that we try to control in our life, that we play God with our life. Usually, God allows us to go so far and the wheels fall off of the cart. Allow God to be God. And God will let you be God of your life if you want that. I've got this thing. I've been, you know that, that, that always concerns me when I hear people say that. You know, Peter said that too. Well, I'll never deny you. Oh, I'm good. I'm strong. Like, really? No. The problem is, is that we don't know, we don't know the depth and the reality of our own nature. Paul understood it. So a humble reverence. It begins with that a Christ-centered home that says, you know, we'll say, I'm sorry, you know, man, I missed that one, kids. It takes opportunities that you mess up as a parent, and you will have plenty of them, by the way, and your kids will tell you of every one of them. Right, they'll have a rolling record of it. You know, if you're thinking that you're going to be a perfect parent, my friend, just get off that bandwagon fast. Somebody, somebody ought to say amen to that. Right? You know, as much as you know, and and they'll get that age. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, and you're going to look back and you say, "Man, where did I go wrong, or how did I fail?" And you may not have failed at all. You know what? There's never a there's only one perfect heavenly Father. Right? So, you, you, you know, you begin, to, you begin to look at the interaction of, 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 of life and you, use, you take opportunities where there's failure in your life and you use them as opportunities to say, you know what, you know, I'm sorry and here's opportunity for me to grow. And, and those can be teaching moments where Jesus can be seen real through our failures. Where He can be seen real in our life. There is a humble reverence to God. The second thing that we see in this is that there was a harmonious oneness between heaven and earth. Now, Paul does this in the book of Ephesians. He's talking about this oneness between heaven and earth. He talks about unity. He says in chapter 4, and we're going to look at this next week, how to have harmony in your home. How do you do that? Paul said to bust a gut to keep unity in the church. But it's the same unity of the home. There's a harmonious oneness between the, between the family of heaven and earth. I don't understand that. There's a mystery of godliness in that, in that, the, in that the, the saints who have gone on in oneness. We said we're seated in spiritual heavenly places in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't fully understand what all that means. But I mean, that does mean that with God it's all one through Christ. It's Christ. For this reason, he says, I bow my knees to the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. God knows your family by name. Aren't you glad? In other words, the identity of your family or the identity of you is not lost with God. He knows you. And there is a there is a homo- and that's what you pray for. You pray for that there can be this unity and oneness that we see that the reality of that and what it means in our lives and in our family that our family can reflect. Listen to this, that can reflect the unity that there is. Our family can reflect the unity of of God in the Godhead. That our family can reflect that. You say, well, we're not there yet. You know, join the club. You're in the earth, but. The power and reality for that to be a dynamic in your life and your family to have a Christ-centered life happens, and it begins with prayer, that shaping will of, in the will of God for the glory of God prayer, and when Christ becomes the center of it, that's where it happens. So there's this harmonious oneness, verses 14 and 15. Look at the next one. There's this glorious strengthening in the inner man. There's this glorious strengthening of the inner man. It says, I pray for his glorious unlimited resources. He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Now, when my son played uh, Little League, my prayer, honestly, for him was what is is that. And I don't know how God answers these prayers, okay? I, I don't know how this stuff works. But my prayer was that he would have the strength to hit the ball, right? Lord, you know, give him because he's my son. Okay? And he's a reflection of his papa. And I played on the bench two years of baseball. And I had the best game in my mind. But I couldn't practically apply it. And that's frustrating. But I wanted to live it out in my son. I wanted him, oh, I wanted him to hit that. But think about this. Something more. And I, let me just, let me digress. Can I digress for a minute for you young people? You got a young pastor, okay? When, when you are praying for your team, whatever team it is, and you're praying for them to win, and the other prayers are Christian parents, and they're praying for their team to win, how does God sort that out? I mean, that is a theological dilemma that I'm in. How does how does that work? How how does it work that? And I want you to think. I want you to let me just say this. I, I'm I'm getting ready to make a real spiritual point here in a minute. But how does that work when we're concerned about our team winning the game? I mean, like, or let's say a Super Bowl. These guys are getting these million dollars to go out on the field, and we get to sit back and spectate it. And we pray because we want our team to win, and and we you know I, we pray for safety, and you should pray for all that. But i you you also I mean you don't go out on a, you don't go out for a, a team and and plan on losing, do you? Anybody here play to win? I know Mike Brooks does. He told me. You know, but but how does this work? You know, Mike, do you have any kind of insight? I need some wisdom. On, on how it works. But let me just ask you this. Notice here, Paul didn't say, I'm asking that you have physical strength. He's saying, I pray that you're strengthened in the inner man. Now, that's a prayer that God can answer. And I am just going to say this, as, as much as there's all kinds of activities for us to be involved in, don't just tag prayer onto a game. Seriously. It's okay to play the games. It's okay to do those things. It's, it's okay, but don't just tag prayer onto it and say, "Okay, now we're going to go out and we're going to beat the socks off of them or whatever." Um, you, you go out and you, you play to win. You play with heart. You play with character, and you not only play with character, you play with you play the game as Jesus was playing, because you
1: are. Christ, representative there
0: on that field, on that job, in that life, in conversation with your brother or your sister, at school. And so, you know, my prayer as a pastor, honestly, is... You know, I. You know, you, you're going to deal with wins, and that's great. And you're going to deal with losses and disappointments. I hope you get through them, because if you can get through those disappointments and losses, then you might deal with some other things in life, and it might help you, because you're going to face disappointments in life. So I'm praying that you're that there's a glorious strengthening in the inner man. That that there's this inner that this that that there's this glorious. Now notice this. Do you see this word? Say it with me. Glorious. There's this glorious. Everything in this world that we live with deals with sin, suffering, and death. Shame.
1: Brokenness. The reality of being
0: undone. Being heartbroken. The reality of this world is sin. And God says that, wait a minute, there is a new day because there is glory.
1: That's what the resurrection did.
0: Resurrection says, I'm turning this thing around. So Paul says, I bow on my knees and I'm talking confidently because there is a resurrected Jesus. And a resurrected Christ who is on his throne. Who is the God. God of glory. And glory is good. Right? Unlimited resources. That is yours. With inner strength through His Spirit. Hallelujah. Man, I could preach. That's something, isn't it? The power and reality that God,
1: through His Spirit and His glory,
0: indwells you because let me just tell you you are more prone to see the shame the brokenness the sin the heartache the disappointments and all those things and the glory seems so dim but when you get on your knees and you close your eyes and like Isaiah of old, the old prophet, he looks up and he sees God in all of His glory. And the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim are, are flying back, back and forth saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. John in the Revelation, who was and is and is to come. Oh, woe is me, I'm a man who is undone and my lips are unclean, he said. God in His holiness, God in His righteousness, God in His glory. And here I am a sinful man. And my tongue proves it. My life proves it. My ways prove it. Everything around me reinforces the reality of that. And yet there's a God on His throne who comes down and touches us with heaven's glory. And the power that strengthens us in the inner man. I want to tell you, that is a power that only comes when you get in touch with Jesus. And I want to tell you, there are some kids that need to see that once again. There's a generation that need this more than ever. If there's ever to be any hope for our nation, hope for our community, hope that kids get off of drugs, hope that the kids' life get that lives get straightened out and hope that there has to be a greater joy in the things of Jesus than the things that this world offers as mere temporary happiness that ends up into addictions. And I'm praying once again that the church be the church and that we rise up by falling down on our knees, that there would be a glorious strengthening in our community and in our lives so that why? We can speak truth not only into the culture, but speak truth into lives that lives can be once again freed by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the power of His gospel that changes lives. That the power of the gospel that can, that can take a drunkard and sober a drunkard up. The power of the gospel that the chains of addiction can be broken by the power of His might and the power of His glory, that where there was shame and there was no hope, that there's once again hope in the lives of young people. And I'm telling you, if there's ever a time for Christian families to be Christian families, it is the day and the hour that we are living in. When it seems like all hell breaks loose.
1: Is there a glorious strengthening in your life? If you're going to college, you're going to need it. You'll figure out what you believe real fast and why you believe it.
0: It begins begins with a glorious strengthening in your inner man. Paul prayed for that. And there's an abiding presence at the heart of our life. He says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And notice what he said. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Now, that's really powerful because as as you think of that, he's saying that we become securely settled. You know, when you look at a tree out here, you look at a big tree, you say, well, that's just a big tree. You don't see this intricate rooting system that these trees have. and. And the, the larger the tree, the deeper the roots go. And and the roots go down deep. And notice here, he's saying his prayer is that, and his prayer for his family here again is another prayer, that Christ will make his home in your hearts. That there, And he does. And this is not a weekend visitation kind of deal either. Matter of fact, as, as you look at this verse, he's talking about that Christ comes in your heart to stay. He moves in the house. You see the, the picture here that Jesus moves in the house. It's kind of like this. You let Jesus in your front door, He cleans out every room and every closet. Right? You say, oh, "I don't want him in there. That's, that one's reserved for me." Oh no, I want to be Lord over there in that closet." as well. And all of a sudden you begin to, when, when Jesus has full reign in your life, you begin to experience life in its fullness. It's, that's the reality of it. It's, it's life that God intends for us to live fully. So He's going to keep you you're strong and, and you, you, your roots grow down. And the, you're securely settled. And I think about this. What families need most today is this. Is the reality of roots and a settleness. And do you have that? Only you know. It begins in Christ. there is an abiding presence that takes up residence, He securely settles and he deeply roots us. Then verses eighteen and nineteen, and may you have power to understand, as with God's all God's people, how wide, how long, how high, how deep, his love is. May you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to fully understand He said, I want you to know something that you can't fully know. I want you to know something more than an ex- more than an intellectual knowledge of figuring something out. This is beyond that. This is an experiential reality. So he's, he's saying, I'm praying for God's fullness, filling our lives and our family with love. When Jesus says at the center of a home, you will find love. There it is. That's very simple. If you want to know if God's in your home or not, is love there. And I'm not talking about this OOEY gooey GUSHY feeling.
1: I'm talking about love that is sacrificial.
0: I'm talking about that kind of love. I'm talking about agape kind of love. I'm not talking about this kind of love that you you feel because you hear that song that made you feel that so many years ago. and You felt that, you got that old loving feeling again. You know, I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm talking about the kind of love that... that 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 will go the distance. That will sacrifice. That will that will that will pray and will make a way. That kind of love that that allows you to, to say I'm sorry. The kind of love that allows you to say, you know what, you know we're gonna we're gonna try together. Yeah, we failed there, but we're gonna we're going we're gonna pull this thing together because we're gonna want Christ to be the center of it. It's that kind of love is what I'm love I'm talking about. It's it's the re, it's the real love. It's the real deal.
1: It's the real deal.
0: It's, it's that kind of stuff that, that, make long, that, that, make, that make long and happy marriages that you work through difficulties with. It is that kind of fullness and the feeling of God that, that, that you integrate in your family. And it's, and it's lived out in purity and it's lived out in honesty. That's what it means to have a Christ-centered family. You say, well, man, my family's already grown and gone up. Then I begin praying it for my
1: grandchildren. And I would seek
0: to be the influence that I could be, for Christ's sake, for good. That's how it works. That's how it works. And notice what he said. God's love to understand the dimensions, that it's experience the surpassing magnitude, that we may be filled With the fullness of God. And then he goes on with his doxology again. Let's say it with me. Now, all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. Glory
1: to Him in the church forever and ever and ever. (laughs) It's not on the board. That's it.